0: We will read this morning from the uh, Paul's second epistle to the Corinthians, and we're gonna go to chapter five. We're gonna start reading from verse twelve, and we're gonna read all the way to the end of the chapter. So, first, uh, Second Corinthians five verses twelve till the end. For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf, that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. For if we are sound mind, it is
1: for you. For the love of Christ compels us. Because we judge thus, that if
0: one died for all, then all died, and he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to flesh, even though we have known Christ according to flesh. Yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things
1: are of God who has Ministry of
0: Reconciliation, that is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not inputting their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now, then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as Thou, God, were pleading through us. We implore You, on Christ's behalf... Be reconciled to God, for He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. This morning, O Holy Spirit, we pray to give us all unction to understand, preach, and hide this word in our hearts. And we pray that in due time, you will bring the strong fruit of faithfulness and ministry, and joy, and even sacrifice. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated.
1: <laughs> Missionary activity
0: overseas. Missionary work, especially church planting, is an unsustainable enterprise. This is at least what I was told this past summer. By a retired PCA missionary, I asked him to help me recruit in U.S. seminary students to do church planting in Albania. Overseas missionary work, he said, is Especially long term church planting is not sustainable anymore. Don't go. Don't look. Don't attempt. Now I confess I don't know what's going on in the US. I really don't know for sure the future. That man might be a prophet, that fool, that man might just be playing me. But what I do know was what I thought in those moments.
1: But the Baptists are doing it
0: successfully, sustaining their missionary work. The Charismatics, the Pentecostals, the Brethren, the Armenians. We're crying out even the Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses are sustaining their own kind of missionary activity in Albania. Do they
1: love Jesus more than we do? Or does Jesus love them? and therefore sustains them longer than us. I want answers.
0: Dr. Harry Reader of Barwood Presbyterian has a saying. He says, God has called us to stay on mission, to stay on message, and to stay in ministry. And I believe that. But what is it that keeps us on the mission, on the message that is so horribly... Um, slaughtered among Presbyterian pulpits these days. What makes us stay in ministry? The second epistle of Paul to the Corinthians is a wonderful epistle. His purpose for the epistle is to bring the Corinthian church to full obedience, he says in chapter 10, to bring them to full repentance, bring them to full um ministry and faithfulness in ministry and chapters two to seven are wonderful there are some of the they contain some of the most theological richness and depth of reflection on the nature of christian ministry and some people have called it unparalleled to the rest of the new testament and the verses that i've taken out for you today which is verses 14 and 15 are probably the heart of it because it says for the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all then all died and he died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves but for him who died in them for them and rose again it's interesting what he outlines in chapter five he uh, gives two main motivations that paul has to not drop out to stay in ministry to stay on message to not sin to by god with his life and he says and those first two main motivations are fear and love fear and love and the first uh, uh in the first part of the chapter he talks about fear um he says therefore because we know the terror of the lord he says we persuade men since we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ it's necessary proper even advantageous for us to stand in fear of him and live coram dio before the face of God with a godly fear the second restraining motive or force that Paul feels in his bones is love and that will be my focus for today: the love of Christ. He says, compels us, and I want to look at under two main headings: Christ's love for us and Christians' love for Him. And so, first, let's look at Christ's love for us. In verse fourteen, He says, "For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died." There. Are at least five things I would like to notice from, from these two verses. First thing is to notice regarding this Christ's compelling love is the direction of the action. Is Paul speaking of the love that Christ has for us, or is he talking about the love that we Christians have for Christ? It's important to point this out because most people who will read it uh, uncarefully in English will understand the second, will think that, Paul is saying that the love that we have for Christ in our hearts is what compels us. And that is true. It's biblical. And comes as an application in the second part of the message. But when we studied it, the original, we, we noticed that, no, it's talking about the love that Christ has for his church. For us, that's what compels Paul, that's what compels us. We refrain from doing sin, from dropping out of message, of ministry, of twisting the message, not only because we are afraid to do it, but also because Christ loves us.
1: And the world and his church too much to allow us to do it. We know this
0: because the immediate context, in the immediate context, is talking about what Christ did for us. It's talking about the cross of Christ, the life of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ, and in that context, Paul speaks of Christ's compelling love. He talks about sacrificial death on the cross for his people, and he says Christ died for all, and he died in behalf of all that, and that act of. Giving himself, that is, that's what constitutes Christ's expression of love, of his father's love even. For God to so love the world, he gave his only son. Yes, we are restrained from doing evil things, from the fear of God, but
1: mostly because of Christ's love for us. The second thing to notice in this passage is
0: this concept of constraining love. The love of Christ, he says in verse verse 14, for the love of Christ compels us, constrains us, controls us. The Greek text can be translated either way, but something has taken hold of Paul, has put limits to his actions has moved him in a specific direction and continues to do so, constrains his course of actions in the world and has called Paul to self-sacrificial love patterned by Christ's love himself.
1: Paul has been boxed in,
0: has been thrown from his feet on the road of Damascus, has been prevented from going further into has been sent to Europe, has been given the gospel to the Jews first, but mostly to the Gentiles, has been set in a particular course by the gospel, and now in verse 15, he lives for him who died and was raised by him. In other words, the minister of the gospel is a man under orders. It's really no difference being an officer in the military. You can just make yourself an officer. Somebody makes you. You cannot just go in and out of base whenever you want. You cannot abandon your post.
1: You're under orders.
0: Gospel sets your agenda in life, in mission and message. The gospel constrains us boxes out our self-indulgence of love and puts us in the mission of God and keeps us there. The love of Christ constrains us to live for him, for his glory, for his message, for his church. Thirdly, we notice that this love from Christ forms also a deep conviction in our hearts. It says, for the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, Then all died. The meaning in the original is that Paul has arrived at a decision, at a judgment, at a deep conviction a long time ago, and he's not reconsidering it. He's staying in it. He's continuing in his first convictions. The great conviction that Christ died for
1: all, and therefore we have new life. It
0: has already been formed. And when I read that, I rethink of um, what we know sonship theology today that goes around Presbyterian circles. It teaches that Christian must experience again and again and form a new conviction again and again by this re-experiencing of justification and union and redemption. But that's not what Paul is doing. He says, it has been my basic conviction from the beginning. I'm not rediscovering it. I'm defending it. I'm convinced. And I can do no other. And the love of Christ compels me. He says, to continue in that direction. Christ died for me. And that is what I preach. The fourth thing to notice, out of many things in this passage, and it will be fatal if we miss it, is Paul's federal theology In this verses. For the love of Christ compels us. Because we judge thus that. If one died for all. Then all died. And he died for all. That those who live should live no longer for themselves. But for him. Who died for them. And rose again. Is the Adam Christ theology. That magnificent doctrine. Of federal headship. That we have here. Identified. And it's, it's the. Um, equivalence or a summary of what Paul will write in Romans where he says, therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin and thus death spread to all men because all sin for until the law sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Therefore, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offense. But if by one man's offense, many died much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And then he continues to say, Therefore, by one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's obedience, many were made sinners. So also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Christ for his church is the fifth thing I would like to notice. The federal theology must not be understood in universalistic terms regarding its soteriology. I understand that people who are are opposed to the Reformed faith might be tempted to make much of the word all to mean in this passage all
1: men, but they will be wrong.
0: It does not refer to the whole human race it does not mean all men when it says all because first of all we know that that is not Paul's theology taken in its entirety and that will be my first response Christ is not schizophrenic it does not say one thing in one place and the opposite of it in another place Paul's theology is what we call limited atonement Calvinistic theology And if we take the analogy of faith to interpret this passage using what Jesus said and what Paul said and all the apostles said, we will know that Paul does not mean all to mean all men. Paul is not a universalist. And because Paul wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul does not contradict himself in this passage. From Matthew 1, we know that the angel of the Lord told uh, the church that she, Mary, will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. By the way of imagery, when Jesus describes his relationship to his church, his followers, he used that of a good shepherd. In John 10, we read, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for just as the father knows me and I know the father and I laid down my life for the sheep but you do not believe me because you are not my sheep my sheep follow listen to my voice I know them and they follow me and giving husbands a pattern how to love their wives Paul himself says husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her The Holy Spirit, my friend, does not suffer from schizophrenia and neither does Paul. And another reason why this is not a universalistic passage is that Paul is not speaking about Christ's relationship with all men, but Christ's relationship with his church, with the Corinthian church and with any church and so on. And that's the context. And third, it, if we take this as a universalistic interpretation, it, it results in absurdity. Can it be said, said on this verse that men, including those who reject the gospel or have never even heard it, that they died when Christ died on the cross? Can it be said for them that they no longer live unto themselves but unto Christ who died for them? can we say for for Muslims today that hate Christ and kill Christians that they live for Christ? Surely this cannot be said of all men. Therefore,
1: the word all does not mean all men. It speaks of Christ's love for his church. His life before the cross. His life on the cross and his reign from behind the cross Christ's love all his actions
0: all his prayers from the right hand of God the Father him sending the Holy Spirit giving us the message and the ministry they're all actions of love And he controls us, he compels us, he directs us, he leads us,
1: he saves us through them.
0: But there is also a saying that love begets love, doesn't it? In verse 15 we read, And he died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. And what we see here is Christians' love for their Lord, for
1: Christ. That is the purpose
0: of Christ's sacrificial death, so that you live for Christ. That's what Paul is saying. In order that the living might no longer live for themselves, but for him.
1: What Paul is saying here is that Christ...
0: Love calls for our response. He calls us to produce in us a constraining love so that we will live out our in dungeons, self-love, our love for sin. And we should allow ourselves to be overpowered by this love of Christ and this love for Christ. Love steers up love. His love steers up our love. Christ's love begets Christians' love. And Paul is talking here about the glory in Christ, the Christian life. And we need to preach this. When, When we do evangelism, we need to preach this. Many people are turned away from Christ. They don't make the decision, humanly speaking. Because they think they're going to lose too much and they're going to gain nothing out of becoming Christians. And we know that's not true. Christian life is full life. It's full of life. It's full of purposes, it's full of joys.
1: It's full of action.
0: Jesus has saved us, has. From death in order that we have everlasting life. And it's a ministry that never ends. It's a ministry that has never been fully fulfilled by any who has ever ministered so far. And so we should make sure that we we, we, we preach that when we do evangelism and missions, we gain so much more by by submitting ourselves to the love of Christ rather than losing. It's, I say this because just a few months ago, I had a young man. I'd been evangelizing him, a, a young man in his early 20s, thinks of, of himself very cunning, very um, philosophical, very intellectual. And so I thought, okay, I'll hit you between the eyes how about we start reading the book of John? So he promised, I gave him a Bible, went home, started reading the gospel of John. I didn't see him in three days. And then when I saw him, he looked like hell. He's a man that is always very well-dressed, always shaven, always presentable. And he looked like he had not slept in three days. And as soon as he saw me, he started cursing me. He said, what have you done to me? I cannot sleep. He had read the first chapter of John.
1: And the terror of the Lord has entered his heart.
0: And he could not shake it away. And I begged him to continue to chapter 2. I was hoping for chapter 3.
1: (laughs) He never made it to chapter 3. Because I think I forgot
0: to tell him that yes, you lose a lot if you become a Christian, but you gain so much more. And I asked him after a few months what
1: happened. He said, I love sinning. I cannot and I will not give that away.
0: Now he's recruited to fight for. Um, the open foundation of George Soros and has fully declared himself to be gay.
1: That's a story of a sinner who refuses the love of
0: Christ and who refuses to live for Christ. Let me tell you so, the story of a saint, William Borden. William Borden was an American Born in 1887 from a very wealthy family, his father had um, fell upon gold and he was richer by today's money than your last president. His father was an unbelieving man, but his mother was. And she raised him in the knowledge of Christ. He was converted, had many influences, godly influences in his life. He went to Yale and then graduated from Princeton. And then in the process of being educated, he made a decision to invest his life in sharing the gospel with the Muslims in China, the Ukur tribe. And he became convinced that this was God's purpose for his life, his calling. Well, as you might imagine, his father did not like that at all and put him under great... Pressure and a great choice. He said to him, You have to make up your mind. You do that, and you will lose all these resources, all these businesses, all this gold, all this fame. You will never come back to wealth. There's not a chance. I'm writing you out of my will. Make up your mind. And his father thought that was enough threat, that was enough compelling
1: force. William prayed
0: and prayed and then said, God has called me and I'm doing, I'm going that way, whatever it costs. the love of Christ compels me. And he walked from it all, all the resources. And his father did cut him off. It will be nice for you. It will be encouraging for you to go and read about him today and follow some of the um, things that he Has done and been. On his way to Western China, he, uh, to share the gospel with Muslims, he went to Egypt. He wanted to learn Arabic before he went to, he wanted to learn Quran before he went to China. And so he went there to uh, live in Egypt, in Cairo for a while, to live with a Christian Syrian family and to study under Samuel Zwemer, who is otherwise known as the apostle to the Muslims. And while he was there, William Boredom, Contracted spinal meningitis, and within one month he was dead.
1: Twenty-five years old. Never made it to China.
0: Never preached the gospel to the Muslim there. And you might think, what a waste—a young life, all that money, all that promise. Think what he will have done. And you will think that until you will find his Bible, and at the back of the Bible, you will read three short phrases written down. No reserves,
1: no retreat, no regret. He had walked away from all his father's reserves, but there was no retreat for him. Because Christ was his, Christ was his all in all, Christ was his inheritance. There's no going back because the love of Christ had compelled him and constrained him. And because of all of that, he had no regrets.
0: William Borden is buried in the American cemetery in Cairo. On his grave were inscribed words apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life.
1: There's no explanation for you to be here, to desire
0: in ministry, to do what preachers do and what missionaries do. The love of Christ does constrain us but also our love for Christ compels us to the end of the world and there is a saying what goes deepest to the heart goes widest to the world people don't die for what they know is true people don't die for what they believe people die for what they love we're not changed but what by what we believe We're changed by what who loves us and how he loves us and how we love him. We don't make sacrifices over some doctrine that we believe theoretically. But as we experience deeply the love of Christ in our hearts. And so the question for us all this morning is not, do you really believe the Westminster standards, the doctrine, our Reformed heritage. It's not even do you love those things that you are studying.
1: It's do you love Christ? Is do you love his church? Is do you love his message? Have you experienced that love of Christ?
0: And I'm telling you, unless you experience the constraining love of Christ, In your heart that pushes you to ministry, you're not gonna last. You're wasting your days here and the money of the supporters of the seminary if that constraining love of Christ is not in you. You're wasting your time. Go back. But if you have experienced the constrained love of Christ that says be ready to even go to the, re- to the end of the world then you are in the right place.
1: What goes deepest to the heart goes widest to the world and it will make you take risks. Finally, I want to help you, remind you when things don't go well. When your doubts, and you will doubt. When your love goes dim or cold, and it will. At certain in your life. When you are struggling.
0: With the real reason why are you doing what you are doing. And you will at some point. It's not an if, but it's a when. When you are visited with seasons of coldness and indifference, when you begin to be weary in ministry and or lag behind in the service of God, here is the remedy. Look again to the bleeding
1: Savior, because Christ's constraining love is also Christ's persevering love.
0: As long as the believing eye is fixed upon his love, the path of the believer is easy, unhindered. For that love always constrains, always saves, always sanctifies, always forgives, always reclaims, always restores, always empowers. But lift off your believing eye from Christ and the path of Christian ministry becomes unlivable, unlovable, impossible. And the life of holiness becomes a life of weariness.
1: Remember Simon Peter?
0: As long as Peter looked only to Jesus, he walked upon the sea safely to go to Jesus. But when he looked around at the storm, at whatever was threatening That small church on the boat. He started sinking.
1: And sinking he cried. Lord save me.
0: And just so it will be with you. Sometime. Or maybe even time to time. But as long as you look. Believingly to the Savior. Who loved you. And gave himself for you. You will stay. On the mission. You will stay on the message. You will stay in ministry. So always keep your eyes fixed on Jesus.
1: Meditate daily upon his love for you. Look at his feet and hand, not bleeding anymore, but still pierced. Look at his heart. And he will see you through. He will never let you go. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we commit ourselves this morning. Lord, we commit ourselves to your constraining love. And we pray that your love will
0: continually change us, sanctify us, strengthen us, empower us, and give us everything that we need to stay till the end of our last
1: day on the message, on the mission. In service to you, dear Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.